host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast. This is Max, your host. Today, I have an awesome guest. His name is Ron former colleague and now friend of mine, who's got an amazing, amazing story of redemption and change. So we're going to dive right in. I'm going to let Ron do what he does. So Ron, introduce yourself to the audience, like who you are and what it is you do. My name is Ron Alvarado. Uh, I'm currently a counselor here at Paragon Recovery. I work in uh, the substance abuse field, been working in this field for about five years now. I love it. Very passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And I, he is. I, I worked right next to him. Actually, literally, like his desk was next to mine. And, yeah. and we would always have, whether we're bagging on clients, you know, and we're teasing here or fellow staff, but we loved our staff. You know, it was cool to have Ron next to me, right? Because he would see things that I couldn't see and vice versa. We'd always talk about how we could be better at our job, you know, and helping people. But what I want to get into, Ron, is like, tell your backstory, like where you came from, Right. And we're going to dive into that. So you go as deep as you want. Right. Because this this is not X-rated, but it's R-rated. So you cuss if you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, But I want the audience to know, like, where you came from and then what that looked like for you to make that change. Because a lot of people don't know your story. I mean, a lot of people do. But on my end, they don't. And I want the audience because my whole podcast is about people that overcame their challenges and and like you now are (laughs) successful and love what they do. So tell the audience, give them a little background information on you. All right. Uh, I was born and raised in, in Los Angeles and uh, Santa Monica, California. I was born there to uh, two migrant parents that came from, uh, from Guatemala in the early 70s. We had a typical, I want to say, like Hispanic type family was very, very close. It was very, very important. At the same time, uh, you know, both of them had jobs, sometimes two jobs at different times. Right. So it was just my sister and I, who's about three, four years younger, about close to four years younger than me. I grew up in Santa Monica, like I said, and I, my parents put me in a, in a private Catholic school, right? Wanted me to get the best education ever. And it worked out for the first eight years. But I, I've all, I, I want to say that, I mean, looking back now, the thing is that I, I, I had, I had issues with learning, right? I just, I couldn't sit still and right. nobody knew why, you know what I mean? But so I became like the little class clown in class, you know, just trying to make fun of, you know, of either the teacher or other students and, so that's kind of how, you know, like my sixth, seventh, eighth grade kind of went, you know, how that's kind of how that worked out. When looking back in hindsight, realizing now that I, I probably had some really bad ADHD, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, um, I can relate. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't really I didn't really do good in school. 
When I started high school, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, growing up, you know, I, I had a lot of di- downtime because my parents weren't around because they were always at work. So obviously I was parentified taking care of my sister early on from like the age of eight years old. I had, I had to start taking care of her. So, I mean, that, that, that caused like a lot of resentment in me growing up because I didn't get to do certain things that some of my other little buddies were, you know, running around outside getting to play and I didn't get to do that. So I always felt like I always got left behind. Right. Right. And even when I it, and in high school, I, it, it became more apparent that obviously like the neglect, like it started to take on a whole different form because I started seeking out, you know, like I started seeking out um, attention. But I didn't I didn't, it didn't even matter what type of attention I just right. any type of attention. Right. So, I mean, I, I grew up I, I grew up playing baseball. That was a, that was a, a passion that I had then, which I still have now. But my parents put me in rec ball, played pony league here and there. For a few years, made the all-star team. I was actually pretty good. Obviously, you know, I mean, getting back to like my my, my attention seeking, I, I started seeking attention from like the neighborhood kids, you know what I'm saying? So what ended up happening is like I ended up like joining a gang like when I was around 12, 13 years old. You right. Know, because I, if I you think up, about it, like I want to just so the audience knows, right? Like a lot of like my mother growing up. You know, because there's only her and my little brother, but she, you know, she always made sure we were in the house. So she worked. And sometimes mm-hmm. it was that nice, like you, right? We seek attention, our ADD yeah. or ADHD or whatever, you know. But my friend, uh, this guy named Ryan Stuman calls it focus, right? It's a superpower, but we didn't know how to use it then, right? So, no, not at all. Right. Growing up, when you don't get that attention, right? Even though our intent from our parents was for our best interest because they're trying to take care mm-hmm. of us. Right. We start seeking this negative attention because right. Negative is better than no attention. Right. So go on. Tell them like, you know, you join a gang at 12. Right. And and, and go ahead. Tell the audience like what starts to happen when you start seeking that negative attention. So, I mean, I, 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 so I had my first drink, I want to say at 11 years old, right. At a quinceanera, you know, which is, you know, like, it's like a coming out thing right. for, 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 for young ladies, you know, in our culture, right. That, that kind of gives them like the, all right, now you bounce to womanhood now. Right. And so, I mean, that I remember I was 11 years old. I came out as a chambelan, which is like one of like the little dancers, you know, that dance, you know, you do the waltz and all right. those classic dances. <laughs> right. And, and, and I got hammered. For the first time ever, you know, one of the little kids brought in a, a, a bottle of champagne, took it into the room, and I just got hammered. Like, hey, just have a drink. I was like, oh, it tastes disgusting. But then it was like, hey, now I'm downing the bottle, you know, <laughs> right. not knowing what the hell is going to happen. Right. And I, I don't remember the rest of the night, but I do remember the next morning waking up and, and remembering like bits and pieces that my dad kind of put me over his shoulder at that time. So, I mean, obviously, like my, my, my also too, my mother is a normie. So my mother is a straight normie, right? Uh, but my dad, he had a lot of problems with alcohol growing up. Early on, he was super duper uh, violent. You know, he'd go in like these drunken stupors and just become very violent, you know. And, you know, obviously, you know, with the physical abuse and stuff like that, that was something that, you know, just had to, uh, you know, that, that, that I endured. Sometimes my sister would throw me on the bus and I'd get the bell. You know what I mean? So, I mean, little things like that. I mean, my dad ended up getting clean and sober later on in life closer to when he passed away but i'm just glad that he got to get i mean just jumping a little bit ahead but i'm just glad that he got he did get like four or five years of sobriety before he passed so i mean like once i started getting involved with gangs it was it it was it was over with max honestly like there was just no i mean just the lifestyle right i mean it just it just goes 100 miles an hour thing you know is i have my first drink at 11 next thing you know i'm actually getting drunk at 13 14 years old i'm buying 40s on the weekends hanging out with the homies and whatnot and now we're trying weed all right let's try let's try weed and it's just like hey 
there's some acid here, you know? So like little by little, I, I started to neglect the things that I truly love doing right. because I wanted to seek that, that attention. I, I kept getting that love, right? right? That love. And, you know, the, the guys telling me how much they love me and, you know, and, and so, I mean, that, that became part of what I, I kind of based my entire like belief system around like this, this, that that's kind of where that, that, that shift, right. Where that, that, that my core beliefs started to change right. where these dudes had my back. Well, 100%. right. Because, because these guys are now giving you the love that you weren't getting at home. Like you said, right. Dad had a, a drinking problem. You know, he's breaking out. The, you're the one that gets the brunt of his anger and, and it's mm-hmm. probably not a great environment at the time, but when you're with the homies, as you say, you know, they love you. And this is like, yeah, yeah. this is what I've been looking for. Right. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things because it's obviously it's tricky as a kid, you know, it's really hard to discern like what real love is. Right. I right. mean, I mean, thinking back now, my parents sacrificed everything for me. You know what I mean? And now I'm able to see that right now. Right. Exactly. But, you know, but then it was just like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm going to do everything to piss my dad off. You know what I'm saying? And then me and my dad, me and my dad, we really bump, started bumping heads in my teenage years. And then I, and then around 15, 16, around 16, I stopped playing. I stopped, I, I stopped playing ball completely. So the whole time I was playing, I was playing baseball. Right. And then I even tried out for the high school team and everything. But I still had this other life going on, you know, where I felt like I belonged, where I felt like I felt the love and the respect and whatnot. And that started to become something very big for me, the respect, because now it's like what I have to say is actually being heard. Right. You know, and this is just amongst a bunch of hoodlums, you know, and it's just like, (laughs) no, but I get it. But that gets addicting that lifestyle, right? It does. It does. It does, man. And then, you know, next thing you know, I mean, you know, we're getting into fights, you know, the little one on ones and then. We're starting to jump people. Now I'm getting jumped, things like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, some of my friends are getting shot and it's like, now we're shooting at people. So like, I mean, it just, the the, the progression in this lifestyle, it, it's just, um, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and it's scary, you know? I mean, I mean, obviously back then as a kid, I'm not really thinking like that. I'm just, this is part of my life. This is just what we do, right. you know? And, and unfortunately um, on, on, in, in February of, of 1995, you know, it, doing what we were doing, I remember uh, being chased by the cops because we were hanging out at our local street in my neighborhood and we were all hanging out right there. What ended up happening was that I I, 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 I ended up picking up a gun, but I, I had been holding, you know, always, I always had a gun on me and stuff like that. Not thinking that I like, am I ever going to use it? But then I would use it when I had to, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's something that I normalized. Right. And then at the age of 16, I remember I had just started the 11th grade. I remember we went to a restaurant and we got into an altercation with some other gentlemen. Well, some other kids like us, what ended up happening is I, I, I ended up after that altercation during the altercation, I ended up pulling out a gun. Oh, and I ended up shooting. Yeah, I ended up shooting one of the one of the gentlemen. And and unfortunately, he passed away. Um, He passed away. And and, but what I was saying is that, like, at that time, like, I I, I didn't understand the gravity. Right. Like the magnitude of my action at that time. And and even throughout that whole time, I was like, what did I did I what did I do wrong? You know what I'm saying? And that's something that I struggled for years with, because. Everyone's telling me is like, that's not normal. Like, like you're a 15, 16 year old kid. You're not supposed to be walking around with a gun. Right. Right. But I didn't understand that. I like, I, and then part of me, it was like, well, this is the way that I was living. I had to for self-defense. I mean, obviously not today. I understand that was bullshit. Right. Because I, you don't, I didn't, I mean, the regular 14, 15 year old kid out there isn't walking around with a gun. Right. You know what I'm saying. Right. So and it's because of the lifestyle you're living. Right. And, and right. the choices you make and the people you're hanging out with. Like you said, back then, that was everyday life. You were watching this happen everywhere. So this is like 
yeah. this is normal. We defend ourselves. In, yeah. You know what I mean? And and, this, and obviously, like, you know, during like like the like during the 90s in my neighborhood and just kind of really all in L.A., it was just really chaotic. And right. I mean, not to make excuses, but I mean, it was just something like an excuse as to like, well, this is why I need to be strapped. Right. Right. So I went through that. I mean, obviously, you know, during that whole time from the age of 13 to 16, because after I committed the heinous crime, um, I, I, I was incarcerated at the age of 16. And, you know, I, I was battling my, my addiction even then, not even knowing that it was an, an addiction. Right. I was drinking, smoking weed and doing cocaine every single day thinking it was the norm. And then um, when I got incarcerated, I didn't even really know what the hell was going on. You know, I was just like, I'm a 16 year old kid. I, I get pulled away from everything I know and not really understanding what was happening. And I ended up remember losing my fitness because I was a juvenile at the time. And then I ended up going straight into adult court when I was 16. I oh, mean, so you skipped the whole adolescence thing, right? They stuck you in adult court right away. Even though you were 16? Yeah, right away I went to adult court. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I was still in a juvenile facility, but I was going to adult court with, with other, with, with you know I me mean, with adults. Right. And uh, to, to, to make a long story short, I ended up getting convicted for that, right? I had a crime partner. He got, he was found not guilty. I was the shooter. I admitted to being the shooter, but I, but I had said that, you know, I try to explain, you know, how my state of mind, how I was at that time. Right. Obviously, I mean, there was no justification for that, but at that, you know, a 16, 17 year old, when I went to adult court, I was eventually found. I was eventually found guilty, and I, I ended up. I was sentenced to 19 years to life, and at the age of 16, and then I paroled 23 years later, right under a Senate bill, uh, 260, which was trying to give juvenile lifers opportunities because I did have a life sentence. Right. So during this time, I never thought I was getting out, Max. You know what I mean? Like I pretty much the first. I want to say the first three years, it was just like, I had like this magical thinking, thinking like, oh, they're going to reverse my case and see that I was right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Just, you know, the, the, the foolish, you know, mindset of a kid. And uh, after like probably like my fifth year of incarceration, I came to the, like the cold, sad, hopeless realization that I wasn't getting out. Yeah. You know? You're not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> I'm right? not going anywhere. I was 23 years old. I'm thinking to myself, like, I, this, it's my life is over. Um, so, I mean, it's not a surprise that my addiction from that time on, it, it just, it, it escalated. You know, it wasn't just the alcohol and the weed and the cocaine. No, now it became crystal meth, heroin and pills. Right. You know, and, and let the audience know this is inside prison, right? Yeah, this is in prison. This is in prison. You know, I, my, my, my addict, my heart. I want to say that my hardcore addiction began in Salinas Valley in mm. 1999. 1998, 1999, you know, wow. I was up in Salinas Valley at the age of 18. So, I mean, that's, that, that's where it began for me. And, you know, and obviously, you know, I, I knew the laws of the streets. Now I had to relearn new laws, you know I mean? Because prison right. is a whole different ball game. Right. And obviously, you know I mean? Um, being, being that I'm Hispanic, obviously I, I, I ran with the, I ran with the Hispanic car. Right. So, you know what I mean? I, I ran with the South side. So, I mean, so that, that, that in itself was like a whole other life. You know what I mean? I always right. tell people like, oh, I go, I think I've lived about three, four lives it, so far. You know what I'm saying? Just from childhood to prison, to my life out here now and right. to like where I hope to, you know, eventually be one day. Right. Right. But, I mean, during this time, my, my addiction was really, really bad. You know, uh, and 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 not so well. I want to say it's bad because like I was using maybe three four times out of the week. You know what I mean? But not really like with. I didn't really have that mindset like I'm an addict, right? right. I remember a requirement a requirement from uh, 
from from the from the California State Board of CDC. They wanted me to go to AA and NA, and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" You know what I'm saying? Like, what do I need that for? <laughs> he sounded and like you know, me when I first got sober. I was like, "What is right? that shit?" I'm not going no cult, yeah. man. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't have a problem. I just party it up every now and then, right? But not knowing then that it was, you know, it had begun already, and and that you know, due to due to me not addressing certain things, like obviously like emotional, mental aspect of of my past. It just it just took on a whole life of its own, you know, and and so when I first had to deal with the grief, which was in two thousand and in two thousand and four, my aunt passed away, right? Really, a really close aunt of mine that that you know that pretty much had raised me too when I was a kid, passed away, which was my father's sister, and um, I didn't take that good at all, you know, and then I, I just continued to use after that. And then in 2006, when my father passed away, it was it was it was something that well, obviously because seeing the pictures, talking to my mom on the phone, not being able to be there, you know, for my family, right? Like it really took a it really took a toll on me throughout all these years, you know. And and even then, like I, I started to think to myself, like I, I just didn't like me at all. I, I I started to come to a point like like what did what who did I become, you know? Like what did I become? And then. When my grandmother passed away, like uh, like nine months after my dad, it's like, you no, know, everything comes in threes, right? Right. And when I lost all those three, I I, I pretty much lost my mind. I, I just got, I focused, my entire focus was not on, it wasn't on really betterment, right? It wasn't on, it wasn't, it was basically based on fear because I, I didn't know what to expect anymore. I didn't know what was happening and I was losing control of my entire life. All I knew, all I knew is that who I was in prison, what I was about in prison and what I needed to do in prison. That's all I knew. It right. came to that point where like I I just I just invested everything I knew everything I had in that that basically became my higher power at that time you know what I'm saying right and, um, because and I'm gonna kind of tell the audience and some of them will understand right because there are people that we know that listen to this that have been where we've been and right when you when you get to that level like when you've been in prison a while right and like you said you're playing the prison politics and you're doing you know and we're not gonna get into the stuff that happens right. you know what I mean because we all know you know those deaths right probably like you said fear and and we know that fear you know a symptom of fear could be anger right so it probably fueled mm -hmm. your anger in there so it only made you let's say like worse right like if you cross yeah. me you're not gonna like what you see because i'm gonna take on all this grief i'm going through i'm gonna take out on you yeah. right so right you're sitting in prison right like you said you're looking at 19 years to life and you come to the realiza realization at five years that like it doesn't look like i'm going anywhere so i'm going to be the best right. convict that i can be right i know that had to have crossed yeah. your mind like no one's going to mess with me i'm going to people are going to respect me so tell the audience right so they're getting an idea you're in here you've been in here a while right what was that moment like when you said this is getting old i may not mm. be going anywhere but I'm going to change my life, right? Because I've known a couple of people like in our programs that you and I work, right? Right. That have been where you've been and they made that. Even if they thought they weren't getting out, they said, I'm changing because this is not the way I want to live my life. So what was that moment like for you when you were just like, this has got to end? So for me, that that came closer to, uh, I want to say, I think around 2010. So 2010, I started to get that, you know, that little light started to switch, right? Because I was coming up for parole for the very first time after 15 years, right? Oh, I was barely okay. going to come up for parole. I don't know. I might have a shot, right? So when I went to board, I went, I went in there thinking that I, I thought I, I told a tale of, of a changed man, right? And, but I didn't know how to articulate that, Max. I didn't know how to articulate that I was, I was on a path of change. Right. I hadn't changed yet. But I was on a path of, 
Right. And I remember getting that three-year denial. Really, like, it really broke my heart, right, when I got that three-year denial. But then I said, you know what? I'm going to move to a new prison, new start, continue my education. Because by this time, I had already ha- uh, received my – I had already gotten my, my associate's degree because I went from I went to school from 2006 to, to 2009. Okay. So I had done that already. Oh, right? nice. So the thing – yeah. So, I mean, even though I was doing bad, like, there was – there was that little that little struggle right within me, like, hey man, oh, yeah. I want to do a little bit. I, I can do a little bit better, man. Right, yeah. The devil so, on one side, the angel on the other. Go right. On. <laughs> yeah. So I, I struggled with that for so long, and and for the most part, like I remember. So after that, after, after I got after I got denied, I remember going to this new prison, and unfortunately, I suffered another setback. I ended up getting uh, I, I got I was I was validated as, as as a prison gang associate, and then I ended up having they put me in isolation for six freaking years, right? So I was in Tehachapi and Pelican Bay, but during this time, through all that alone time, right, just sitting there and just reflecting, I started making some, I started making some like boss moves in my head. I'm thinking to myself, like, well, I don't have the education here, but I can correspond. So I started reaching out, you know, to resources that, you know, that were available to us. Right. You know, like different programs from anger management. There was a program called Gogi, Cage Your Rage, because I need to understand where my anger and where my rage was coming from. You know what I mean? But it wasn't until then that I started to gain some insight as to like, what's wrong with me? You right. know what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm always like blaming everybody else. Like, why am I so pissed off? And and so, I mean, so things like that, that's when that, that chain, that, that light started, you know, that it was a there was a flicker, right? And in isolation, you know what I mean? Uh, 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 A good friend of mine who, it's funny because he's actually like gang-wise, he's an enemy of mine. He's from a different neighborhood. Oh, wow. But he ended up becoming one of my best friends, right? While we were in isolation. Yeah. And and now he's my daughter's godfather. Crazy twist of fate, right? But that's awesome Um, though. Let's see, change does happen, right? But like, see, when people think about self-reflection, right? They think, okay, I'm going to go meditate for (laughs) it. Ron had to meditate for six long years. So listen up, audience. Like this, I mean, this makes him really think. So when he was pointing, what he's saying is when he was pointing that one finger, he realized that there was three pointing back and he needed to make some change. So listen up, man. This is just amazing. This is just amazing. So go ahead, Ron. Keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, like, I had to start looking inward. And that's something that I I didn't want to do, Max. You know what I'm saying? And it's like. All of us addicts, you know, like, you know, we work in this field and it's like nobody wants to look inward. I'd rather look out. Right. Because I'd rather take your inventory than take my own. Right. (laughs) And and the thing is, like, it's just easier that way. But I mean, and that's something that like helped me grow a lot. And and I had a lot of mentors along the way that 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 would call me out on my on my on my shit. And and I appreciate that today. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Like my sponsor tells me now, he's just like, well, you know, if I just tell you that you're doing great, then you'll you'll basically just conform. And you know what I'm saying? You'll just (laughs) get complacent. You know what I mean? And and that's not what I want to do, because like I've told you, like I like today, like I'm I'm about leveling up. I want to level up. I want to get better. How can we get better? You know what I'm saying? We talk about teamwork. But I mean, certain things like that is like at at that time is I started reaching out to people. I reached out to an attorney at that time. She 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 heard my case. I I explained to what I wanted to do, you know, the field that he, I eventually wanted to work in, because in, initially I wanted to work with at-risk youth, you know what I mean? Right. Because there's so many kids out there, you know, obviously getting lost through the cracks and whatnot. Right. And um, so that's something that I really wanted to do. And I wanted to address the issues of, of drugs and behavior, right? And the emotional and the emotional aspect of, of things and right. why we end up the way that we do, right? So that was my initial passion. But then somewhere along the way, like, you know, obviously like, you know, just to fast forward really quick is I am where I'm at now because I believe that my higher power has put me in this position right but back then i had no idea 
know what I'm saying? Back then, yeah. I had no idea. I was just like, I, I need to do something. I, I, I need to level up somehow, some way. And eventually, um, when I went to board, uh, I explained to the board. I just told them, listen, I go, all my life, I've been a mess, you know? And it's been hard for me to address that. It's been hard for me to admit that, you know? And the thing is that today, like, I, 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 made, I made a lot of necessary changes. And, and a lot of the people and influences that I've had in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to become less codependent. You know right. what I'm saying? Because that was an issue. Because without my neighborhood, without, you know, my, my guys, it's like, who, who was I? Right. That's you know what, what you based your whole identity on was that game. Exactly. Exactly. So like I knew who I was. I knew what my moniker was. I knew what my I knew who I was and what I was about. But I didn't know Ron. You know what I'm saying? I didn't yeah. know who Ron was. And I and did. that's and that's something that that I mean, I'm 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 grateful today because I'm still I'm still learning who I am today. I'm still figuring out who I am today. But right. I, I needed that what happened then in order to, like, you know, eventually like come to the point like, to realize that, you know what, that the way that I lived was wrong. The things that I had done were wrong. Like, you know, and the gang violence that I was involved with, it, it, it was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, you know what I mean? I lived in that lifestyle. So that's what was that. That's what was uh, I mean, I, it was a necessity. You know what I mean? Right. And a survival. You know what I mean? And so the thing is that I came to the I came to the conclusion that in order for me to to level up, I, I, I needed to really look inward. And I really right. need I really needed to reflect on the things that I needed to do and and. And, and put myself in a place and around people that were going to help me do that. Right. You know? And you even found that in prison, correct? Like the people you surrounded yeah. yourself with, yeah. right? Because you could have went, yeah. right? And it sounds like when they finally granted you parole, right? Like you were honest, right? Because here's what I've learned from some of my friends who actually got sober in prison and then came out and, mm-hmm. right? When they told the board like, oh yeah, I'm a changed man, blah, 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 blah. They were like, saw right through it and said, nah, you're not. Until they got, like you got honest and said, look, you know, I'm sorry for what I did, but here's what I'm doing to change myself as a human being. You know what I mean? Like I share with you a story exactly. one time where a speaker who had, him and his buddy were looking at 25 to life and never getting out. Right. And decided mm-hmm. to get sober in, in a level four yard. Right. The hardcore of the hardcores. Mm-hmm. And he said when they finally just said, look, this, you know, this is getting old and, you know, this is what I'm going to do, whether I get out or not. You know, they were granted parole. And, you know, through a miracle, whatever the case happened. And then, you know, I told you the story of where they went back to the court where they were sentenced. Right. And they were actually remodeling the judge who sentenced them to 25 to life uh, chambers, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, and you and I are in recovery. You know, I'm coming up on 19 years this year. You know, I always thank God that he didn't send me to prison, which but at the time when I was going through my addiction, right, like yourself, I was like, this is three hots in a cot. I can do this. This is my new life. Like, I know this. Right. But God had other plans. Right. Just like he did. God just waited for you to see what his plan was for you while you were inside. So, you know, tell the audience some more about the changes you started to make. And then, you know, when you got paroled and, and, you know, now we know you're, you're a family man, you have children, you help people on a daily basis, you know, that I like to say that to help them get better from an illness that can kill them. Right. One of the worst, if not the worst, right. Uh, illnesses we know is addiction, right? Because it's a disease that'll tell you you don't have one. You know, you could be sitting there sticking a needle in your arm and go, ah, that's just what I have to do to get functioning today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I thank you for sharing that stuff. Like the audience, I'm sure is in their head going, wow, this guy's been through a lot. So continue and let them know like how your changes slowly over time got you to where we're sitting today and you're being a free man. Yeah, I mean, so I so I, I paroled September 11th of 2017. So that's uh, I'm going on five years. 
I'm going on five years. I got a, a little bit more, I say about four and a half, a little over four and a half years that I've been out. But so when I went to the board and I explained to them, like, listen, like, I, I, cause I, Max, I, it was like, I was sitting there like, like at a confession booth, you know what I'm saying? Pretty much right. like, like, yeah, I was just like, you know what? Like, this is who I am. This is who I've been. This is what I've done. You know, I, I mean, from, from from the from the drug use to, to the drug sales and all whatnot, phone sales and what, what, what all, all the stuff that I was doing. I was like, this is the things that I chose to do at this time. And this is why I did them. And I understand why I did them today. You know, and I understand that, you know, like I, I like I'm not perfect and I, I have a lot of work to continue to do. I remember my attorney when, when I told when I told the board, because I, I was sitting in front of three commissioners and I told the board, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a work in progress. I said, I'm a work in progress. And my attorney looks at me and she looks at me like, what the hell? Like, why would you say that? You know what I mean? Like, they're going <laughs> to give you a three-year denial or some shit, right? <laughs> right. But the thing is, like, I, I, I've kind of believed that I'm always going to be a work in progress. And and I explained that to the commissioner. I was, I was like, but I'm always going to be a work in progress. I go, whether in here or out there, I'm always going to be a work in progress. I go, when I get out there, I, I don't know if I'm going to succeed 100%, but that's the goal, right? right. I was like, exactly. I want to get out there and, you know, I want to be with my family, like, and like I explained to him, like, I want to make amends. Like today, like I, I make a living amends every single day, you know what I mean? For, you know, for the pain and suffering that I caused that man's family. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. So, I mean, today, like, yeah. So like, I mean, the change came gradual. It didn't come as fast as I wanted it to. Cause when I got out, Max, I, I came out, I came out running, you know what I mean? Like I just, the world was so big. You know what I'm saying? Uh, after 23 years, from 1995 to 2018, I was like, holy smokes, what is going on, right? <laughs> right, the world and, uh, changed a lot in that period yeah, of time. Huh? I, I remember my parole officer telling me at the time, he was like, he's like, Ron, just take it easy for the first 30 days. He goes, I don't want you to do anything. Just stay at the sober living. Because I was at the sober living out here in San Diego. He was like, just just go ahead and just chill out, you know? Like on week two, I was I was like, mom, I need my birth certificate. I need my social security card. I, I need, how do I get an ID? And I was already trying to, because I wanted to work. You let know me ask saying? you something real to... quick, like parole, like usually and, and probation, right? They don't let you travel too far. You know what I mean? No. So they wanted you to go to San Diego because you're from LA County. I thought that they would keep you in LA County, right? So they could keep an eye on you, as they say. Right. So at the time, at the time, so I, I so I was married because I got married in prison, right? Okay. So at the time I was married, so they wanted me to either parole to so i mean that that was my only real choice they wanted me to parole back to la but max i already know what's in la you know, i know what's in my neighborhood you're like no please that. no right yeah, I was like, and, and that's what i was talking about making boss moves like what's best for me right right and so i found i found this program called the training center uh out in spring valley in san diego that, that it was a sober living right okay and so it was also a requirement for my parole. So I ended up going out there and my parole officer, he approved it. I went out there and, um, nice. and, and I was just out there. For, I, I did six months out there, there in a national city. And so I did that. I got to work in, I got really, really, really close with one of my buddies. I, I think I've, I've shared this story with you, my buddy, Eddie, who, you know what I mean? He got out after 29 years. I got out right. after 23. He got out. So, I mean, this sober living was mostly all ex-lifers that were getting out. Unfortunately, he passed away two years later you know, uh, due to the disease, you know, wow. um, really solid dude, man. And, and I took that pretty hard too, man. Um, cause we went out there struggling like those first six months, you know, working and trying to find our place in the world, you know, just trying to right. figure out like, what are we supposed to do? And so even then, man, we were going out to the Salvation Army, uh, McAllister, and we talked to like at-risk youth, you know, just talk, just, you know, just, just conveying a message, you know, of, of, right. of, of, of hope, you know what I'm saying? And, and, yep. So that's all we were doing, man. And and then 
unfortunately he passed away, but I ended up getting divorced and, you know, I was going through my little struggles that first year that I was out and lo and behold, I relapsed. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, I, I thought I had this under control. You know, I'm not hitting meetings, but hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right. And you know what? Boom. I relapse. And it was just, oh, it's just this weekend. And then two weeks later, oh, it's just this weekend. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's a cheat day, right? <laughs> right. It's exactly. Just weekend. <laughs> right. You know, it's not working. And um, but little by little, like you already know how the disease goes, man. The way it progresses, it, it, it's, it's its own monster. And so that's what ended up happening little, little by little. And then I and then I eventually I got divorced. And then I got my, and then I got my girlfriend at the time pregnant. I got my girlfriend. And, um, and then I, I remember, uh, I ended up getting married again. I ended up getting married again. And then I had my, and then I had my first child. And even then I was still struggling because I wasn't addressing emotions. I wasn't addressing yeah. my past. I wasn't addressing my trauma. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't yeah. doing any of that. I just thought that I can get out here and just live a good life, you know, just right. move forward and just do it. And unfortunately right. it didn't work out for me like that. I, I ended up relapsing again. And I think, this last relapse was something that I really needed, you know, and I thank God every day for it, even though it was an ugly one, right? right. It was an ugly relapse, but I thank God for it because like I was given the opportunity to have everything. And I basically said, I don't want it. Right. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't that it was taken from me. I gave it away. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was given I something and I gave it back. And I, and I was, it was almost like I was, I was self-sabotaging, self-destructing and trying to give it all back away. Right. And um, eventually, like, you know, I, I ended up to, I ended up having to put my ego to the side and 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 realize that, you know what, even though I was already going to school to become a counselor, I was already working in the field, but I was struggling, Max. And it was just something that I didn't want to share with anybody. Right. And um, eventually, when I finally did open up and actually expose everything that was going on in here, the therapy, the counselor, you know, what I mean, going back into the meat, going back into the rooms, that was really important for me. And I remember, like, it's funny, you know. The way the way the way God works, right? I was at a Winkles, you know what I mean? I you know, I I come I was coming off of my last relapse and I was I was basically white knuckling it. You know, I, I had been clean for about 15 days and I was with my daughter, both my, both my girls, I was walking with them at a supermarket at a grocery store. And, and I bumped into somebody from my home group and she was like, Ronnie, where have you been at? Cause I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't been there in months. Right. And I was like, I've never seen you out here. What the hell are you doing out here? Right. And I sat and I stood there with my girls and I broke down and I said, I, and I told her, Hey, for two, I relapsed, you know, I relapsed. And she, she hugged me and she says, Hey, don't worry about it. You know? Don't think that, you know, you're forgotten. You know, God loves you. Like, you know, we can make this work, you know, like we'll get it. And it's funny because that same night, this dude calls me who, who actually, who's still my sponsor now. And he was like, Ronnie, what's up, man? What's going on? I got to talking to him. I spoke with him for about an hour. He's like, Hey, come back on Thursday nights. And it was just like the embarrassment, the shame and all that. Like it just kind of just, it kind of washed away. I went back in the rooms and I ain't left since, you know? About three years, you know, it's, 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 uh, and that's where I've been at since. And, and since, since then, man, like I, I, I've just put all my focus and my passion on my family, on, on obviously my career, what I do here, working with the clients, right. And putting their needs, you know what I mean? In front of, in front of everything else. Like as far as like when we're, when we're in, you know what I'm saying? When we're right. here at work, it's just making sure that they're well and helping them gain the understanding that obviously all of us that are in recovery get to get, you know what I mean? If we're right. willing, right? Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, they always say yeah, it's so God's I mean, willing, but God's always willing. It has to be us that are willing. You know what I mean? Cause God's right. always, he's just waiting thing. for us. He's like, I'm willing. I'm yeah, waiting on like, you. 
He's like, I, I, I give you the tools. You know, you just got to accept them. You know, <laughs> exactly. but in order to accept them, you right. got to like put yourself to the side. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like what? I'm not special. Like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? Right. But, but I mean, that, that's where a lot of the changes come from. It's, 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 it's a lot of the, the, the reflection and being in the rooms, therapy, just being able to just, just being able to just kind of just allow myself to open up. And, and just be honest with myself, be honest with another person and working with others, you know, Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's been like the cocktail that I know for myself that's worked for me, you know? Yeah. And, me um, too. For almost 19 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and let's let the audience know, right. We're not, we're not promoting anything, but this is kind of where Ron and I have found our recovery. Right. And I know recovery comes in different forms and passion, but I wanted him right. to share what worked for him. And, you know, and I see it in, I worked with him. So I've seen him work his you know, program, you know, at work, away from work, you know, with everybody he comes in contact to contact with, right? Because that's just the way it's got to work, right? And, and and Ron and I being in the same field, right? We understand that we got to model the behavior we want our clients to do. So we mm-hmm. can't be out there being like snakes in the grass and, and then tell our clients, hey, man, you better be a good human being, right? Well, hey, Ron, I saw yeah. you over here, you know, or Max, I saw you yeah. over here, right? Yeah. So, you know, this is this has been an, an, an amazing interview. So one, I want to thank you too. But there's a couple of questions I'd like to ask my client, uh, my clients, my guests, right? You know, I wrote a book called Fearless Happiness, right? So the first question yeah. I have for you, Ron, right? Because you've shown us through this interview where you became fearless, but what does fearless look like to you on a daily basis? And how does that show up in your life? Well, fearless for me today is, is, is living in a way where I no longer have to put up a facade, right? I no longer have to, I, I no longer have to show you the person that I want you to see. But the person that I become, like finally becoming comfortable with my own skin, like that's something that it, it you have to be fearless to do something like that. You know what I mean? Like taking mm-hmm. off that mask. You know yes. what I'm saying? Like, and it's just like, well, like, will I be accepted? I, I I don't know. But as long as I'm okay with me, my higher power's got my back. You know, and I'm working and I'm working the steps and I'm working the program that I'm supposed to be working and. Mm-hmm. That's all we can do, man. And 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 that and that takes you have to be fearless to run to do something like that. Absolutely. That that's what fearless means to me, you know. <laughs> all right. So and the second half of the the title, I put happiness, right? With a Y. And I did that for yeah. a reason, right? Because people still say you knucklehead, you spelt it wrong. No, I didn't. I did it for a reason. So what is happiness? Yeah. How does happiness show up for you? And what does that mean to you? Oh man, happiness shows up for me is so like. I, I think because I've shared this with, you know, with clients and I think I've shared this with you as well. Like, like for me, happiness is being able to to be OK with myself today. Right. But not not just that, but it's being able to convey a message. Right. Of of hope with the experience along with that. Right. It's being able to to pass that on to the next person. And when you see that other person, right, that's been struggling with their addiction or struggling with just life. Right. And you're able to somehow some way help them help themselves. And, and watch them progress, level up, and succeed. I mean, for me to be happy is one thing, right? But if you had a hand in something in, in somebody or people's lives where you can kind of like push that along, push and pass it forward, then it just creates a chain gang, right? It creates a, a chain reaction of, right. and and that right there is. I don't want to be happy by myself. Like I, I know what I need to do in order to be happy, but I think that when we're able to spread that and convey that message to other people and watch them grow and progress like absolutely. that. I mean, that, that makes me happy, man. Absolutely. Cause we did something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We didn't, make it, we didn't make it happen, but we had a part in that, you know, absolutely. in that journey. We carried on what was taught to us. And now we're watching it happen yeah. in other people's lives. I get it. That's awesome. So let me ask you, like, if people want to connect with you or they want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? Well, I, I, I have an email. I think you have my email. 
Yeah. It's at uh, Ron Dot Alvarado at, at Paragon Dot Rehab. Okay. As, yeah, yeah. What about any, do you have any social media where they can like contact you or anything like that? Oh, uh, they can contact me on my Facebook too. I'm, it, it's private, but I'm under Alvarado Ron. Okay. They can contact me there as well. I only, I don't really do much social media. Yeah. Maybe I need I, to like, <laughs> my game. <laughs> right. Well, I'm but, here to help you, bro. I'll teach you, man. Like, yeah. like they taught me, right? Anyway, and it's been awesome to have you as a guest. Sorry it took so long, but you know, ever since I talked to you the no, first time great. I met you, I'm like, I got to have Ron on my show. And you know, you've been great. I think we're able to convey a message of hope. And I know there's my, the audience out there is they're listening, right? So you shared some really golden nuggets. So I appreciate you for doing that. So before we part, any last piece of advice you'd like to give the audience? I appreciate you for having me on this, on, on your podcast. And also too, watching you work too, Max, like I, I learned a lot from you, you know what I'm saying? Because coming in, like, you know what I mean? I'm a young counselor still, you know what I'm saying? And you, you know, you've been around the block, you know, a few times, you know what I mean? So just kind of getting like your, your insight, your input, you know what I mean? And your feedback, like, you know, even when we've talked about like the documentation, like I want to step my game up and just, just seeing you do what you do and watching you, you know, kind of interact with the clients. Like, like, I mean, it's helped me a lot too, you know? Um, Thank you. But as far as like any type of advice that I would give, you know, like for like, for the, for those that are struggling, it's just like, don't lose hope, man. Like I, I don't want anyone to ever lose hope, you know? That's the one thing, man, because I, I know what it's like to feel hopelessness and it's, it's, and it's a really dark, lonely and sad place to be in. Mm. And, but the thing is that, I mean, we're all out here, you know, fighting the good fight, you know, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, if there's anybody out there and, and, and they would like to reach out or just, to, you know, chit chat, whatever, I, I'm, I'm more than willing, man. Uh, this, this is what I'm about, man. Like, I mean, this, this is, this is part of who I am today. Awesome. And I know it's a part of who you are today. And and also too, man, like this, what you're doing here, man, it, it's big, Max. You know what I mean? It's big. <laughs> Thank you. It's hey, nice, I'm just man. trying it's to, cool. I'm just trying to like you show the world that no matter what background you come from, you can overcome right. your challenges. Like you said, you said it perfectly. As long as you don't give up hope, there's always yeah. a way. And, and my yeah. mission with this podcast is to bring or to show people that and show people different versions of their fearless happiness around the globe. So, you know, you've right. been awesome today. I appreciate you. You know, I'm glad not only that we were coworkers, but we're friends now and appreciate Absolutely. you for coming on and, and doing this podcast. Cause I think the audience is going to get a lot out of it. So thank you, my friend until next thank time. You, thank you for being a guest. I'll talk to you after and uh, sounds good. Have an awesome day. You too, my man. Take it easy.